Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 to 40. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains, and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you, Laura. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody. I'm, I'm kind of tired this morning, too. I don't know if that's what I'm getting from you guys also, but um, let's wake up and dig into the Word of God together. I want to take a note from Pastor Dennis a couple weeks ago where his introduction was a lack of introduction and simply not have an introduction and just kind of jump into the passage uh, today. So that's what we're going to do. So we just, we just got to Hebrews 11, 32 to 40. It's the finishing, the last part of Hebrews chapter 11, which is known as the Hall of Faith, men and women who lived lives of faith that are recorded uh, for us to see and be encouraged and motivated by. We talked about how faith is a confident trust in God's word, no matter the circumstances, no matter the consequences. Faith is a confident trust in God's word, no matter the circumstances, no matter the consequences. It's remembering in the dark what we learned in the light. It's holding on to what we once accepted as true, by reason accepted as true, even when our, our moods change, our circumstances change, all of that. We have faith, not in ourselves, but in God. And in going through Hebrews chapter 11, the author has showed us, starting with Genesis, and then through the rest of the Old Testament, how faith affects how we think and also how we live. Starting in, in all the way in Genesis 1, affecting how we see the world and how God created everything from nothing, and then going through Genesis 4 and 6 and the patriarchs and the events of the Exodus and the, the men and women involved in that, and then in today's passage mentions the judges and the kings and the prophets throughout the whole story, men and women of faith. And at the end of the, of the chapter today, he invites us in and reminds us, hey, you're, we're part of the story as well. We're part of the story of the people of God who can live by faith in, in Christ. And we're part of that story as well. So I have a main idea for you for this last part of Hebrews 11. It's this, a life of faith connects us with the varied stories of the people of God 
as we all await his promise. A life of faith connects us with the varied. Why do I say varied? Because as you see in the passage today, some of them had lives of heroic feats that God worked through them in powerful ways. And then there's examples of immense suffering. And often in the life of a believer, there's, there's both. You see God working powerfully in your life, and there's also times of, of suffering. So the varied stories of the people of God as they and as we still await God's promise. We, we become connected to, this, to, to God's story. So there's the main thrust of this passage today, and, that, and the way I see it broken down is first, first examples of how faith can be awe-inspiring. Those verses in 32 through 35 of conquering kingdoms and obtaining promises and shutting the mouths of lions, like awe-inspiring um, acts of faith that God worked through these people. And then secondly, you have how faith can be agonizing, and that's in verses 35 through 38, torture and being sawn in two and things like that that we'll get into. And then finally, faith is a story that's not yet complete. Not wasn't complete for them, it's not complete for us, and that's how it ends in verses 39 through 40. So, first, faith can be awe-inspiring. Look at verses, first look at verse 32. And what more will I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel, and the prophets. I'm going to stop there a second and talk about the people that he just mentioned and then the power of God, the next couple verses of what God did through them. And if you're familiar with these, with these names, you may be surprised, like I was, of why he chose those names to be examples of people of faith. Because when I look at specifically those first four names, Gideon, Barak, uh, Samson, Jephthah, I see more failures and weaknesses in their lives than I do heroics and feats of power and of strength. And I'm not going to go through every single you know, passage that they're in and break down the multiple chapters of what happens in their lives, but to give you a very brief summary, if you remember Gideon in Judges 6 through 8, Gideon was a nervous Nelly. He was very anxious. God told him to, to lead to uh, lead an army against the Midianites to free the Israelites from captivity at the time. He told him he would give victory. And Gideon's response was, first of all, I come from the weakest clan. I'm the weakest guy in this clan. You know, are you sure you have the right person for this? And God reassures him. And Gideon responds with, can you give me a sign? You know, and he gives him a sign. Can you give me another sign? Okay, can you, can you reaffirm what you've already reaffirmed? Like, can you please make it crystal clear to me. What I see in Gideon is, is an anxious, fearful heart and a God who is faithful to reassure again. And it, We don't see the strength of Gideon in the story. We see the strength of God in it. Then you get to, to Barak during another time of, in the judges when the people of Israel are, are, are um, held captive by another foreign uh, nation. And Jabin is the king during that time of Canaan. And what we see in the story is Deborah, who was the judge at the time, telling Barak to lead, uh, to lead an army against their invaders. And his response right away is, great, only if you come with me. <laughs> like, great, Deborah, but you got to come. And Deborah's immediate response is that she would go with him and, 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 and go into battle. 
but the glory that, was, that, that could have been reserved for him in the battle of defeating the captain Sisera would go to a woman, a woman uh, named Jael, or Jael, if you, know, if you know the story. And so in Barak's story as well, what we see is a, a, t- a timidness, uh, a fear, and yet, and yet God comes through in delivering his people anyways. Then you have Samson, maybe the, the, the worst of the judges, if you will. Maybe that's harsh, I don't think so, but when you go through the list of the judges and you read their stories, Samson's the last one, and it's like everything he could have done wrong, he did wrong. He was born under a Nazarite vow. He wasn't supposed to drink alcohol under that vow. He did. He wasn't supposed to touch any dead bodies or get near them. He did. Killed a lion, got some honey out of it. That's breaking that vow. He wasn't supposed to cut his hair. Gave in to letting Delilah know about his hair, and then she went and cut it. If you read through the story, you might be surprised with how many times it says Samson saw someone he was attracted to, and how that led to him going and, like, that's the next direction of his life and marrying the next person. I was surprised, going through it not too long ago, of seeing that. I think the theologian Britney Spears wrote that song, Womanizer, potentially, <laughs> about Samson. I just see it again and again and again. And so what I see when I, when I, when I read the story of Samson is not a mighty, uh, someone who's always got just tremendous uh, faith and trust in God and always makes all the right decisions, I see a broken, flawed man and a powerful, faithful God that works through him, often in spite of himself. And then you get to Jephthah, another judge, Judges 11 through 12, who seems to be very highly influenced by the Canaanites around him because when he goes out to war, he makes, before he leaves, what's called, what we what you probably have heard, if you've heard teaching on him before, a very foolish vow. Before he goes out to war, he promises God, if we win, if you give us the victory, when I come back home, the first creature that walks out of my front door, I'm going to sacrifice for you. I'm going to kill for you. Like, who did he think would walk out of his front door? His daughter comes out. And, now, and then he, he sacrifices his daughter. Like, these are, not, these are not names necessarily that I would choose to say, look at their great lives and the ways that, all the ways we can model them. And yet, what God is not emphasizing here is their flaws, is their mistakes. But the fact that they had real faith in him, even with all their weaknesses, even with all their mistakes, and God worked mightily through them. Right? So, look, if you're here and you're a fearful person, if you have a lot of anxiety, if you have made promises that you shouldn't have made, if you have made sexual mistakes in your life, do you think God can't work through you? Hebrews 11 is a great chapter to to go to and be reminded. It's about his strength, his power, our trust, our faith is not in ourselves. It's in in him. It's in Jesus. I I found a list of, of other people in scripture and some of the the ways we can look at them at some of their weaknesses and flaws and yet still the way that God in his grace worked through them and they made an impact with their faith. For example, Noah was a drunk. Abraham, many would say, was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Joseph was abused. Rahab was a prostitute. Moses couldn't speak well. Jeremiah and Timothy, they would say, you're too young to do anything of significance. Elijah was suicidal. 
Jonah ran from God. Job went bankrupt. Peter denied Christ. Peter denied Christ. Peter denied Christ. (laughs) Martha worried about everything. The Samaritan woman was divorced four times. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. Lazarus was dead. (laughs) And God worked mightily through them. I I really want to just go back into talking about our experience in India and the different, I just still just, I'm partially there in my mind, but just to say and and reinforce again what I was, what I was saying partly last week is one of the, one of the takeaways, which something I already, I know, but something that has become more and more real to me in, in that trip and seeing God work and reading passages like this is that it's God who does, who has the power. It's God who makes the impact. It's God alone that can change anyone, can change me, can make me more like Christ, can change other people. And I think the weight that we sometimes put on our shoulder, when Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. There's a big part of me that still doesn't really believe that where I, I hear that and there may, I'll have moments of like clarity and the weight drops and I'm like, oh yeah, it's God that does all of the, the heavy lifting and the pressure that I, that I sometimes, or too often probably, put on myself to try to make things happen and make people believe a certain way and try to, it's God, it's God that does the heavy lifting. It's him. It's not ultimately about us. I'm really glad that's true. I just don't have that much to offer. Just don't. We're the messengers, not the message. The good news is about Jesus, not how good I was last week or what your resume is or any of those things. The good news is Jesus. So look at how through these people, these flawed, broken people, how he worked mightily. Verses 33 to 35 who, through these people, through their faith, through faith, conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. These are true examples of how God worked through his people in the past. A couple examples, stopping the mouths of lions, quenching fire. You got Daniel in the lion's den. You have the three Hebrews thrown in the fiery furnace, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. You have the judges. You have the kings like David that was mentioned there. Women receive back their dead by resurrection. You have both Elijah and Elisha, prophets in the old under the old covenant that re- returned dead children to their mothers. Like what what greater gift can you offer someone? Like even, obviously, it wasn't through their power that did it, but the, the God using them and their faith to, to pray over those children and return them to their mothers is just an unbelievable privilege, that is. Just real examples of the power of God at work in the past. Not because, again, they were impressive. Not because people today are impressive when God works through them in mighty, powerful ways, but because of God, his power, his faithfulness. What a privilege it is that we get to be 
any part of God's work on earth, that God would allow us to have any role or significance in, the, in his kingdom that he's building and will one day consummate on earth. It's simply a privilege. I'm going to share a story about how we, the privilege it is that God allows us to be part of what he's doing, often in spite of ourselves, even when God could do it easier and likely better without us. Isn't that true? So let me give you an example. Uh, I knew Brad wouldn't mind uh, Lewis if I shared this, but he told me that, that often when he mows his yard, push mower, I believe, um, Winnie, his daughter, would ask, can I help you? Can I help you, Dad, to mow the yard? And what that looks like for Brad is when he's mowing, like his little daughter coming along and helping him mow, right? Like helping push it. But what that actually looks like is like going slower, you know, helping steer actually in the way that he wants to go. And it takes longer and there's more of an effort involved. But at dinner time, when they're sitting around and, and eating and Winnie says, hey, I helped Dad mow today. Brad would be the first to say, yeah, she did. Of course she did. She helped me. God will work through us often in spite of ourselves, right? Even Because he wants us to. He wants us to help, to be part of what he is, what he's doing. So, a life of faith connects us with the varied stories of the people of God. First, he gives us examples of God working mightily through uh, the people that he mentioned, power, shutting the mouths of lions, escaping the edge of the sword, etc. But there are also examples of where faith led to immense suffering. Faith can be agonizing. Verses 35 through 38. Now, I want to build it up by going back to verse 32. But then once we get to verses 35 through 38, that's going to be what we focus on next. But to build it up, verse 32. What more will I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, of Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection. It's like, wow, wow, amazing, amazing, incredible. Some were tortured. See the kind of abrupt transition here? After all of that, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. Church tradition tells us Isaiah is who he's talking about there. Sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skin, in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens, dens and caves of the earth. So wait a second. So which is it? Is it the power and the might and the great acts that God works through in power through people of faith that trust him and trust his word and follow him? Or is it the torture and stoned and sawn in two and suffering and like, like, which is it? Can we choose? I have great news. We can choose this morning. So we're going to have people that want the power and the great acts of might and feet, that corner of the room, 
And the other corner, we're going to have those who are going to end up being just suffering terribly for their faith. And that'll be the fate, that'll be the d- direction for your life, right? Like, like no, you know, you know I'm kidding. Right? Because we don't, we don't get to choose. If we did, I think we would all run to the power and the great might side, right? Like, yes? <laughs> you all with me? That's where I would go. But the truth is, faith is a confident trust in God's word, no matter the circumstances, no matter the consequences. What does a life of faith look like? For some, it means that kind of agony. For others, it means pivotal moments in time where God uses them in great power and might to change the direction even of of nations. What does it look like for us? I think the reality is there are times where we look at our lives and we see how God uses our faith in some incredible ways. And we're blown away and we're so excited how God is working through us. And there's also time, it's a mixed bag, right? There's also times in our life where it's just, it's just, it's painful. Can I just say, when I think about, let's just talk about suffering for a little bit, right? Because that's, these, these verses, these verses bring to mind these are scary verses. Torture, sawn in two, things like that. When I think about if I had to die for my faith, if I'm a Christian, I am a Christian, okay. I'm a Christian. Don't worry. Don't worry. Um, okay. He's a Christian. The idea of dying for my faith, it's a scary thought. I'd be lying if I said I wouldn't be you know, scared about that. But the idea of like a, a quick death for God, I can wrap my mind around that. I can be, okay. The thought of being tortured to death, that makes me very nervous, okay? That's a scary thought for me. There's examples in, uh, in Maccabees, an apocryphal book. There's a lot of history between 400 or so BC to the beginning of uh, when Jesus arrived, like a lot of history happened 400 years during that time. And part of what's, what's described in, in Maccabees is a mother and her two sons that were tortured to death because of their faith in God. And the account talks about the mother yelling out to her two sons as they're being tortured. I'm not going to go into graphic details. It's bad. She's crying out to her sons, don't recant. Don't turn away from God in this. Don't do it. As she's also crying out to the people that are doing the torture, God is judge. Judgment's coming. Okay. But as she's crying out to her, to her children, don't turn away from God in this. What she doesn't say is, let's have our best life now. <laughs> let's say whatever we need to say to get away from here and like, just live a comfortable life for however many years as we can and best life now. No. What she was crying out, likely with lots of tears, was better life coming to her children. And I have to believe that if, I'm, if we're faced with some kind of awful circumstance like that that involves the kinds of things that these verses describe, that God would meet us with his grace even with something awful like torture. I have to believe, believe God gives us what we need for the day. And if that day comes, God will be there with the grace needed to face whatever it is. In Christ's name, 
Not because I have a lot of confidence that I would be able to hold on and not curse Jesus and run away, but because of Christ in me. Okay. Let's talk a little bit more about suffering. I think when, when some of us hear these verses about the kinds of suffering that these men um, went through, I think some of us may right away feel embarrassed. And we think, have I suffered at all for my faith? And I know a couple weeks ago, whenever that was, a month ago, bad with time, I talked about you know, physical persecution, verbal persecution, and some examples, which may seem big or small to you, though, of people demeaning you, calling you Jesus freak, what, like whatever, calling you names. Maybe that hasn't happened in your life yet either. And I'll say, as I said then, a life of following Christ, Paul says to Timothy, to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you're going to face you're going to face persecution. Like, it's going to come in some ways, physically, verbally, whatever. And I'm extremely grateful to be in a place where we can freely talk about what we believe without any real fear of physical persecution. If the worst, we were praying downstairs this morning, if the worst thing that can happen really is someone not like you and just or make fun of you, like, that's it? <laughs> like, okay, it's, 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 it can be tough, it can be... It can be uh, offensive for you, and to, but like com- compared to what we could face with physical persecution, we can be really thankful, right, that we don't have to, to face that, uh, like some places around the world do. So maybe you're embarrassed because you're thinking, have I, have, I, have I suffered at all for Jesus? And I'd like, the first thing I'd like to say about that is simply, God doesn't love you more if you suffer more. God's not calling us to like hunt down ways to suffer for Christ, that's not, that's not it. But also to have some expectancy that there will be some. And you likely have faced more than you may realize already. So let me, let me give you a couple examples. And I know, again, this might, this might not seem like much, but it's, it's something. And the accumulative, the accumulative life of denying yourself and saying yes to Jesus over and over and over again, that's... That is a, a suffering in, in, in a real way as well. Every time that you don't feel like praying and you pray, that's denying yourself picking up your cross and following Jesus, okay? Every time. Every time you don't feel like showing up to what you've committed to in your, in your, in your tribe, your life group, in, in showing up to, to somebody who's, who's going through something hard and you just want to be there and care for them and you don't feel like it, but you know that's what God wants you to do and you do it, that's a form of taking up your cross and following Jesus, dying to yourself and saying yes to him. Every time you give generously, your time, your, your, your money, your, all of that, these are, these are accumulative ways of denying yourself, saying yes to Jesus, and I just want to encourage you, if you're here and you think, I've, I haven't suffered at all for Jesus, I would encourage you to think a little bit more really about about your life and the ways that you have denied yourself and said yes to Christ. To live a life of trying to pursue sexual purity, and that's denying yourself and picking up your cross and following Jesus. All these ways, God sees it, God knows. On the other side of the spectrum, or the other side of the pendulum, some of us, I think, may be tempted, like we do with a lot of things, is to try to maybe brag about our suffering, kind of as soon as you hear someone else talking about the ways that they've suffered for their faith, you just can't wait to upend them and say about all the ways you've suffered more. And again, 
I want to say God doesn't love us more because we've suffered more. It's not about that. He's not, it's, that's, that's, there's pride leaking out in that. There's a Christian comedian named Brian Regan, and he's got this bit um, called, I think it's Man on the Moon, I think it is. And he's like, there's the, the guy who's been to the moon, every time he hears someone talking about something great they've done in life or something they've achieved, he's just like waiting until they stop talking so he can say, I've been to the moon before, and like just top what everybody else says in every circumstance. And let's, I'm just, let's not be the kinds of people that are always looking to, you know, You've, you've, I know you've hurt, but like me, I've really suffered for, for God. Like, let's, let's not fall to either side of those uh, parts of the pendulum here. So, getting back to suffering, more suffering. We don't know the future. We don't know what God may call us to endure. And the fact that, as I mentioned before, we live in a place where we don't have uh, or we shouldn't have a tremendous fear of physical harm because of our faith, the re- that doesn't make us better than believers around the world that do face that. That doesn't make us better than people around the world that are facing tremendous suffering now in, in Africa, in Ukraine, in Israel, and in Gaza. And I'd like to share a couple thoughts here. Last three days, I'm like developing an ulcer, thinking about how to say this really well, and the reality is I'm a person that doesn't, that is not going to say everything perfectly, like ever, so let me just start with that. Um, Let me also start with the fact that I am not an expert at Israeli-Palestinian conflict in the least. I have not been following every event since 1948 and all that's been happening in that, and so that, please hear me say that, not an expert either, either. But look, we know, like, I know murder's wrong. And when we look at what's happening in the world, I have a couple thoughts, okay? A couple thoughts. First, first of all, can we please be a church that cares a lot more about praying for those who are currently suffering in major ways to pray for them, care for them, rather than being a church that's, that is or is known for arguing and talking about it and is unapproachable because if you start talking about it, you know the person's just going to hammer you with all these different things. Can we be a church that cares and that prays and that is not trying to actively be divisive? That's my first thought on it, okay? When we were in India and we heard about what happened on October 7th, Like, what can we say other than hearts breaking for the thousands, first of all, of Israelis with lost loved ones and with with still hostages? I can't imagine not being able to talk to a loved one. Forget about days or weeks, but even just like multiple hours of not knowing if they're okay or not. Like, hearts break for those who are suffering and still there. At the same time, Hearts breaking for Palestinians who have lost loved ones, who are not part of the terrorist organization, Hamas. Not part of it, not wanting that, and have lost loved ones. Can we care about them, pray for them, pray for all of those who are tremendously suffering? I think that's basically what I'd like to say about that. Let's be people who care and pray and aren't trying to start fights 
and, and, and bicker about it, okay? First, first thought. We have prayer after service in the corner, which we always encourage. We have pre-service prayer. Pray at your tribes. Pray together. You have, we have all the opportunity in the world to do something that's actually helpful like that. Secondly, when Christians hear that Israel is in the news, we get a bit fidgety. Um, and Christians have different views and different understandings of Israel and their place in scripture and specifically how it all lines up with the end times and a couple thoughts I want to share about that. First of all, Jesus said we're in the end times for the last 2,000 years. Since he ascended, we have been in the last days, in the end times. If you remember in Matthew chapter 24, we, we read what he said about what will characterize this age of the last days. There will be wars, there will be rumors of wars, there will be pestilence, there will be deception, all of these things that we continue to see happen in our age here and now. We are in the end times. And maybe when, a, when, when war happens again in another part of the world, this time in Israel, what that can do is, is remind us our time is short. We don't know how much time we have. Jesus said to live, first of all, like he could come any day, thief in the night. You don't know. It could be your last day on earth. You might die. Christ might rapture his church. That, it could be the end today, tomorrow, next week. There's also parables, parables of the talents. Use what God has given you for the long haul. You, you could have 80 more years left in your life. How are you going to use it well? The Great Commission hasn't changed. The call he's given us to, to love each other, to love God, love each other, and to make disciples of all nations hasn't changed. So like, those are the things we want to focus on. Those are the things we want to continue to teach and understand and, 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 and share from the word of God to each other while we live in this, in this time. Okay? There's different views of how the end will all come together and how it will shake up. And I shared some of my views about those when we were in Matthew 24. Um, that does involve, that Israel does play a part in that, I believe. Um, but our, our views of how it all shakes up in the end times shouldn't be something that we, that we condemn other believers if they think differently. There's four or so major different views on that. The church should still be united King Jesus is going to come back. He is going to create new heavens, new earth. The end is going to come. And exactly how that happens, we're going to disagree. People will continue to disagree until it happens. And that's okay. That's okay. We can still be united. We can still care about, about each other. But let events like this, as far as from a scriptural perspective, just be a, another reminder for us. We don't know how much time we have. Let's use it. Let's use it well. Okay? Maybe the ulcer will go away now. Okay, we don't know the future. We don't know what God may call us to endure in faith and what that might lead to. But what matters is not how much we suffer or what we go through. What ultimately matters is how much Christ already suffered for us. He's the one that forgives and changes us because of his suffering on the cross. And so he's the one we look to. He's the reason why we're connected with the people of God in the past that he mentions in, this, in these verses of how our faith connects us with the story he's been weaving and how our faith is a story that's not yet complete. Last two verses, 39 to 40. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, 
that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. What is, what is he saying? I think what he's saying is, God did not deliver to the saints in the past and hasn't yet delivered today all of the promises in the word of God. The new world, the new life to come, so that they and we today can be connected in part of that greater story that is going to be fulfilled eventually. The point is, we get to be connected and part of God's story. They looked forward to not just the land, the promised land and the promised rest when they got, but the, like, the new heavens, new earth, heaven, as we do. We're seeking as well the better country, the better city, the better home. And so we anticipate as well the fulfillment of all of God's promises through faith, through faith. And I want to end with the fact that our stories of faith are not yet complete, not just in the big uh, kind of narrative and the way that God's going to bring everything together with new heavens, new earth, but also in the sense of your in, our individual lives, all the decisions we make, everything that we're doing, the impact that we can make now, we don't see the whole picture yet. So let me say it this way. When you work as hard as you can, not for... Not for for others, as scripture says, but for the glory of God. When you work hard in your career for God, the impact that that makes, you're not going to see the full impact this side of eternity. You're just not. The, the effort you, you give in trying to make disciples and help people know who Christ is and sharing your story and trying to walk patiently alongside them, when you do that with your, own, with your children, you're not going to see the full impact of that effort this side of eternity. It's a story. Your faith is a story not yet complete. When you pray for people, this is my favorite one, all the different people you've prayed for over the span of your entire life, you will not see the impact that that makes on those people and the way God is working through those prayers this side of eternity. We don't see it. It's a story not yet complete. We see not clear, we see dimly as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. We don't see it all. And hopefully that inspires us, that even when we, maybe you'll see pieces and parts of the ways that God is answering those prayers and working through your life and making a difference in people's lives, but there's so much of it we just don't know how God will use and the impact that it will make. And so let's continue walking by faith, not by sight. Continue remembering the things that are seen are temporary, but what is unseen is forever. And in the, in the passage next week, we're going to see Jesus, the perfecter and the finisher of our faith, the one who does know how the story ends and how it all fits together. And because of his life and his death and his resurrection, we have real hope for the future that we will be raised, that we will be made whole, and that there is a better life coming. Let me pray. God, I, I just come to you this morning as someone who knows very well how, how imperfect, how, um, 
how I could do things better, how I could pray better, how I could lead better, how I could serve better, how I could everything uh, better, God. And I know that many of us, we just resonate with that. We know that we, we are not enough. We are not, um, we are not the good news. We are not impressive. But you are. You are strong. You are powerful. You are faithful. You keep all your promises. You are pure. You are good. So, Father, help us cling to you. Help us see what you're doing in our lives and those around us and be able to celebrate your work and what you continue to do today, God. Help us, I pray, as we follow you in faith to, um, that you would work powerfully through us, that we would see people, because of you, um, open their eyes to Jesus and run to you and have new life, new hope, new purpose, celebrate with them, walk alongside them, continue to have patience with those that we know that we're walking alongside. And also help us, God, to face the uncomfortable parts of life, the uncertainties, the questions, and God, any suffering that we face, any and all kinds, help us do it with a focus on you, with grace from you, to endure well. And God, we lift up the many people around the world today that don't know how to face today, that don't know, that don't really want to even think about tomorrow because of the just awful tragedies that have and continue to happen. And we pray for your mercy. We pray, God, that you would meet them where they are. God, would you turn, you've told us that to love, to love those that love us back, what makes us different than anyone else, but if we love our enemies, and even when it seems impossible, God, to pray for those that have unjustly taken others' lives, we know you can change any heart. We know you can turn anyone bring them into your kingdom. So we pray your mercy. We pray your mercy, God. And we also pray for justice. We pray that you, the king of justice, would come back. God, we know that the truth is that there will be no lasting, total peace on earth until the prince of peace sinks his feet into the ground here walks among us but we still cry out please bring peace God God thank you for the faith that we do have help it be contagious just grow it in us we pray Jesus' name.